0: Well, this morning we're going to be looking at this passage that we just heard from the Gospel of Mark. And, and so if you've got your Bible and you want to turn there, it's Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. One thing that we're going to see as we open this passage of Scripture, in a sense, is, well, for one thing, an, a very important fulfillment of something that happens in the Old Testament. And by looking at it in, in that way, we're going to see God's nearness change. His proximity to His people change. And that's going to have a lot to do with the disciples. It's going to have a lot to do with these crowds. And, and by extension, it's going to have a lot to do with you and I. There are some things in this passage I believe God really wants all of His people to grasp. In fact, this is the only miracle of Jesus besides the resurrection if you count that one that occurs in all four gospels i didn't know that until starting to study this passage but but that's pretty astonishing that this is the only miracle that occurs in all four gospels besides the resurrection itself so as we turn our attention here let's first just kind of start with the basics what just happened you know what what just happened uh, it's pretty obvious so um, but there are a couple of things in here that are interesting, like that, that they sat down on green grass, right? That's an interesting detail. And it signals what time of year it is. The grass only blooms and, and is green for a very short time. And that means, at least in this part of Galilee, and that means it was Passover season. It doesn't mean it was the week of the Passover per se, but it was Passover season. And it's two years into Jesus' ministry. So it's one year before his triumphal entry when he goes into Jerusalem for that last Passover. So it's about a year out from that, but it's Passover time. And that might be why there are so many people here. 5,000 men. Um, Matthew indicates it's 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're looking at a massive amount of people. Um, Maybe 15,000, maybe 20,000 people. So you think of some of the larger universities around here and think, if the entire student body were gathered around on a huge lawn. That's how many people we're talking about. It's it's a huge number of people that are here. So, the disciples have just been sent out by Jesus, two by two, to do miracles, to cast out demons in His name, to teach them about the kingdom, and to call people to repentance. So they've just been sent out, and now they've just returned to Jesus. And they've just returned to Jesus as the news of John the Baptist's murder um, by Herod um, has, has, has hit the, the presses. And so the disciples are aware of this. The, the crowds are aware of this. And so that's kind of what's happening in the background. You've got this king, Herod, who is not a good shepherd of God's people um, and has just killed one of the prophets, the greatest Old Testament prophet. And so Jesus sees that His disciples are weary. There are a number of people um, who they've healed or, or who've heard about them. And, and now they're going to go meet the man Himself, Jesus. And, and the disciples are on their way to see Him. And so you can imagine, they're just pressed in with a lot of people. And so Jesus says, let's get out of here. You know, it's, been a long, it's been a long season here. It's been a long stretch. You guys have been working hard. I've been working hard we 're surrounded by people. my cousin just got killed let 's just go and and find a place where we can just be together and unwind i 'd love to hear about your your ministry and hear these stories and and we 'll and we'll get something to eat um, and we 'll we'll, we'll be refreshed so that 's what Jesus says. So they get into a boat and they start to go across the lake now you 've got to imagine kind of the way Mark records it here is that the people aren't going to be satisfied with this, right? So they're, well, where are they going? And so they start to project, well, it I, looks like they're heading in this direction. And so a, a mob of people starts to fan out from the location that they disembarked from, and they're running along the shoreline to get there ahead of the boat. So you can even almost imagine Jesus and the disciples for some time can see this as they're leaving shore And as they start to get closer to shore, you can just see this mob of people. Again, it's not 40 or 50 people or 200 people. It's a throng of people running along the shore, pointing at the boat and and yelling at each other about where they think it's going to be. And sure enough, when Jesus and His disciples get close to the other side, there's this sea of people waiting for them. So Jesus... He gets out of the boat. I think it's important to note that Jesus, when He gets out of the boat, Mark is um, Mark is intentional here to tell us His first reaction. My first reaction would have been, oh man, you know, sorry guys. Um, kind of misplayed that. Um, we should have sent out four boats. You know, a few decoy boats. Um, I, I would have... Honestly, in my own flesh, been disappointed. You know, if I come home from a long day of work and I've got in my mind what I'm going to do, I'm going to make nachos and and I'm and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch you know the rerun of this of this movie that I like, or I'm going to watch some sporting event, or I'm just going to sit on my back deck and watch the deer, whatever it is. If it gets interrupted, my first reaction is not what Jesus does here. He sees this crowd, and and you'll notice. Um, here in verse 34, when He went ashore, He saw a great crowd, and He had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And He began to teach them many things. This is our Savior. This is, this is the One who says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. This is God's heart toward you and toward me. God doesn't get worn out Loving you. God doesn't get worn out serving you. No matter how many things you've asked for and required and and been in prayers that He's met, when you come to Him again with another need, He sees you as one of His sheep. And He delights to be your shepherd. That's remarkable. So we get to see that in verse 34. and And then it gets late. So He's teaching them many things. We don't know what He teaches. Mark is... Mark uses shorthand, really, to talk about the teachings of Jesus, so we don't get something like in Matthew 5-7, to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, or something like that, or the, the Upper Room Discourses that we see in John. So in, but we can imagine that maybe Jesus is saying some of that stuff. He taught that material on several different occasions, and so he's teaching them at length. In fact, it gets dark. Uh, it starts to get dark. And the people, because it's been a spontaneous journey, Hey, Jesus is over there. He's heading over there. Let's let's go see if we can catch up with him. They weren't stopping to pack lunches, so everybody just runs, and they're 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 there with Jesus, and they're in a desolate place. They're not near a big food court, um, or, or you know, a, a, a strip mall that has a bunch of options in it, and so they're out in the middle of nowhere, and they've just le- listened to Jesus teach them for a long time, and now they're hungry, and they're a, they're a long way from home, and so that's what happens. Jesus has this interaction with his disciples. There's some humor here. There's also, it feels like a little bit of tension here in this conversation. The disciples come and they say the very obvious things Lord, we're in a desolate place, Uh, and it's late, Um, and these people don't have anything to eat. So, what's their solution? Get rid of them, send them away. We got to cut loose, man. We we can't manage what's going to happen next. There's there's going to be a crisis here. We've got screaming children, squirming babies, Um, people starting to kind of bicker at each other. I thought you brought the food. I thought you brought the food. Um, Just let let's let's shake the etch a sketch here. Let's hit the reset button, you know, and 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 change venue. Um, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And it seems like that's where it starts to escalate a little bit. Um, the disciples, when he says, You give them something to eat, I, I feel like it's hard to read this without seeing some, if not sarcasm, at least an edge. And, you know, we know from the context these disciples are exhausted. So you know how it is when everybody's exhausted, and now there's an unexpected problem, and everybody here is just looking to get some sleep. And get something to eat themselves still, right? And, and they were expecting to do that about eight hours ago. Um, and so now the disciples say, <clears throat> Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 200 denarii in, in today's world would maybe be something like 30 grand. Um, is that what you want us to do? Oh, you want us to get, so you want us to go blow 30 grand on one meal for all these people? Um, and so the, the, the narrative proceeds from there where we see this famous multiplying of food. So that's what happens. That's kind of the setting. The question that we, I think, most immediately need to ask is what does this narrative prove? What does this parable prove? What does it point to? All of, did I say parable? I meant miracle. All of the miracles of Jesus, they point to something, they demonstrate something. Uh, he's not just out to impress us, to impress the disciples, to show the largess of the, of the kingdom of God. He's, something here is being demonstrated. And what we see here is nothing less than Yahweh is here in person. This man standing here in front of these disciples and in front of this entire crowd, this human being is Yahweh. That's what Mark wants us to see. That's what Matthew wants us to see. And Luke and John want us to see. That's what God wants you to see. That's what God wanted His disciples and these people to see. In the desert during the Exodus and and in Numbers, you'll remember that God, Yahweh, the the Shepherd of His people, from a distance sustained them. Right? He fed them with manna in in the desert. Moses was the, the mediator of all these things, and he would pray, and God, I can't give them anything to eat. How am I going to feed all these people? How am I going to take care of all these people? Can you please help us? And so God would take care of it. Or, um, God, these people are thirsty. We're in the middle of nowhere. I, I have a stick, and there's a bunch of sand, and there's a mountain. What are we going to do? Uh, they need something to drink. Well, take your. what do you have? I, I've, I have a stick. Okay, well, take your stick and, and, and hit that rock and then out of that rock comes enough water for the entire nation of Israel, a million people and all their animals to get plenty to drink. So we've seen from a distance God, Yahweh, pro- providing for His people through Moses and, and through these miracles. And now, God is gathering His people again. God is, through Jesus in this moment, fulfilling um, not only the type of Moses and, and all that we've seen and, and fulfilling this yearning that we have in the Old Testament of, of God is so good and so faithful and He's always providing for us, but, but He promises to come in person. He, he promises to come Himself. And, and now here we indeed see this happening. Let me read one passage from the book of Ezekiel. That, that captures this beautifully. I believe it's Ezekiel 34. I wrote down 33, but I think it's 34. Verses 11-16. Um, through 16. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... This is right after an indictment against the shepherds of Israel, by the way. So, He has just laid out this indictment against the kings of Israel. And we've just seen an indictment against the king of Israel at the time, Herod, who just murdered John the Baptist. So the the positioning of these is really interesting, I think, and it, it, it carries a punch of, of meaning. So he's just indicted the kings of Israel, and now he says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I I myself I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. Listen. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make Uh, will make them lie down, declares the Lord God, declares Yahweh. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And he goes on. God, in in this one passage among many, is promising to come one day personally. The God who's been from from a distance... um, through means, through Moses, or, or through a pillar of fire, or through a pillar of cloud, uh, through a rock, or, or, or through manna, through these different means who's been just kind of out there somewhere, but, but always close by to lead and to, to, to govern and to care for. God is saying, one day I am going to immerse Myself with You. I am going to tabernacle with You. I Myself will be the One who seeks you and finds you and gathers you and makes you lie down and feeds you and binds up your wounds, I personally will come someday and do this. And the the specificity is beautiful, isn't it? He's going to make them lie down on green grass. He's going to feed them with abundance um, when He comes. So, what we see here is that God, Yahweh, is here in person. And, and amazingly, just th- this tenderness that's in Ezekiel, it carries, doesn't it? It carries because when Yahweh comes in person and he sees these people that are scattered, that are in a time of deep darkness, Herod is killing people. They're oppressed by Rome. He has compassion on them. He doesn't lay it at their feet. If you were a better people, I would have taken, no. He sees His people and He has compassion on them. So this is Yahweh among us to fulfill these promises. He's here with compassion. He's here with power to feed them all. And He's, and he's here fulfilling these promises. there's a particular aspect of this that a couple of them that that I think will help us today one is i think most obviously I, th- I think maybe god wants us to consider ourselves through the lenses of of the people the masses that are gathered there these sheep but also through the lens of the disciples so the first thing i think is these sheep that Jesus sees, he has compassion on them because he sees them a certain way. He sees them and, and describes them. We don't know how Mark knows this. I mean, he's got Peter's stuff as his his reference, you know, his data mostly. He's writing from Peter's perspective, almost as Peter's scribe. Um, so maybe it was a conversation that, that happened. Maybe Jesus mumbled something when they were getting out of the boat that only a couple of people heard. But how would would Peter know that when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd? So there must have been some conversation or or some indication from Jesus that this is why His eyes were watering up. Or this is why He maybe turned to the disciples and said, guys, change your plans. I know that you're totally tapped out. I'm totally tapped out. But look at all these people. Look at all of my people. Um, let's, let's care for them. Let's, however it happens, something had to have happened for, for him to write that. So the first thing I think as we, as we consider ourselves under the care of this shepherd is to accept his description of us. That, that we, apart from a Savior, apart from a shepherd, that we're helpless. That we're like sheep without a shepherd. That we just careen around in a time of darkness and distress. That our intelligence, our education, our physical health, our relational network, whatever it is that we might lean on, is is insufficient. I mean, these aren't just a bunch of losers. Like these people own farms and they own probably livestock and I mean they're business people like like you or me. They're not just these downtrodden, you know, homeless people or something like that that, that, that we would all look and say, oh, of course, it's good. Yeah, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. G- God is saying every human being, apart from God, is this way. So that's the first thing. It's obvious, but I, I don't think it's easy for us to get our heads around. And it's important because... Until we get that, I don't think that we get this lesson that's there for these disciples. This is beautiful. So, these disciples, they have this interchange with Jesus about who's going to take care of this problem. Jesus says, you take care of it. They say, we can't take care of it unless you want us to go spend all this money. Which maybe they had and maybe they didn't. I mean, people were probably giving them money, but he had just sent them out and said, don't bring a cloak. Don't... um, don't bring this. Don't bring that. Don't bring any money, right? So, we don't know. But either way, it was obvious that the disciples didn't have the wherewithal to just immediately go feed all these people. So, <clears throat> Jesus, the the verb here that that he he um, gives them the the bread. So he takes the the food. He blesses. He breaks. He blesses it. He breaks it, and he gives it to them. Those four verbs. The one um, he, ge- he gave it to them is in this imperfect tense. So he kept on giving it to them. So he didn't just give them, this is like really cool. So how did the bread get multiplied? Wh- what does that look like in the story? Did the baskets just immediately populate with tons of bread? How did it happen? Did all the disciples just realize, oh my gosh, my arms are full of bread? Um, did it just appear on the mats in the, in the, in the grass where the people are sitting? the way that Mark writes it with this imperfect tense is that Jesus broke the bread and He kept giving the bread to the disciples. So they were going and taking bread to people and then they were coming back and they were all, the, the more Jesus is giving out, the more there seems to be in His hands until everybody, all these 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people are eating bread. But Jesus is the source of bread. The disciples couldn't solve the problem themselves, but Jesus could. The disciples were, um, and there's so much in there, but I think this application is important for for you and I. The disciples are looking at the problem just based on um, like their their tangible, naturalistic, you know, uh, resources, and and instead, Jesus, he's saying, no, look to me. If you want to bear fruit for the kingdom, keep coming to me. Keep coming to me, and I'll always give you what you need to do all the work that I've given you to do. Don't limit your work. Don't limit what I've called you to do to the things that you feel like you can get done in a day. If you keep coming to me and just trust me with the fruitfulness, it's going to be much different than that. There's a totally different plane of fruitfulness that honestly, I think we all tend to forget about. There's, there's no way I can turn that teenager's heart. I don't have the resources to do it. I don't have the patience to do it. I don't have the wisdom to do it. So what do I do? I just tend to just let go and let God. Instead of always a- answering this question, what do you have? Well, maybe I've got a phone call that I could make. Maybe I've got a text message I could send. Maybe I've got an invitation to breakfast I could extend. I don't know. Um, Lord, I'm coming to You and asking You, what, what do You want me to do? Uh, I'll at least give You this and entrust it to You and, and see what You have to do with that. Or maybe it's something at work. Or maybe it's something in another one of Your relationships. Maybe it's finances. It's, it's anything that's pressing in on us where as human beings, we stop with this most banal analysis don't have anything to give them I don't there's no way I can match this problem and and we stop I stop I tend to stop I think here Jesus is giving these disciples and us this mind-blowing visual of yeah we have nothing let's accept that let's accept that we not only need a shepherd but we need this constant source of supply this constant source of power this constant flow of resources that comes not from our own doing and our own training and our own experience, but it comes from christ he's the only he 's the only one that is going to be able to do this and maybe like manna in some way it it, it 's got a shelf life like they have to keep coming back they didn 't just go and get a whole bunch of stuff and then show up like like um like the hero, right hey, all you. 15,000 people. I've got all your food right here. My name is James. You know, they're having to they're they're seen going back and forth to Jesus and feeding people, maybe family by family. Jesus is the centerpiece, and he's the only source of this life and this solution. So we tend to forget that we need God's compassion. Maybe we tend to forget that we need God's power to sustain us and to make us fruitful. But here we have this way to remember. And in closing, as we transition our attention to the Lord's Supper, it's it's wonderful, beautiful, that Mark uses the same verbs, the same four verbs here in this text that he's going to use eight chapters later in the Upper Room Discourse. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it, and He gave it to them. I don't think that that's by accident. He took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And He gave it to them. Every time that we come to the table, we're being reminded. We, we should be reminding ourselves. We hear it through the prayers that that I'm not just coming here to be sustained on on s- some spiritual level that's undefinable. here's here's a great way that we can define it. And the Scripture is full of these. Maybe this will reinvigorate your experience of communion today. But Christ is here telling you, come, acknowledge that you need My compassion and receive it. I'm always seeing you with compassion. And come and receive from Me the the sustenance that you need to do all the good works that, that I've given you to do. We say it in the prayer of Thanksgiving every week, don't we? Um, thank You for reminding us. Thank You for feeding us with these mysteries. These mysteries that proclaim to me every week that I'm a living member of the body of Christ. That I have union. That God's not out there somewhere feeding me. That, that He's here. That, that Christ is among us. And, and just as He promises in John, He's not just in the middle of a multitude feeding you. He's not just in the middle of this church feeding you. He's in you. So we see this progression of God's proximity. Go from on the mountain, somewhere up in the hills is what is what one of the first names of God means. The God of the mountains. So, So the people understood Him as He's out there somewhere, but He's providing for us, but it's very abstract to being in the middle of all these people feeding them to now, as we come to the Lord's Supper, we remember that He's He's not even just in the middle of a crowd of 20,000 people. By His Spirit, He's in me. Always nurturing me. Always showing me compassion. And always available to me to say, God, I I don't know what to do. I don't have enough. Can you help me? So let's come to Him afresh and, and ask Him to do those things and give Him thanks and praise that He's here to do those very things for us. Not just today, but Every moment of every day to the end of the age. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.